The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. How can I harness my passion for writing and leading others, but make it fit with my work from home lifestyle? In today's episode, our listener Carrie shares an experience that many folks find themselves in when their lifelong career no longer serves their circumstance. And in this case, that includes raising a young family. And Carrie shares her passion for writing, leading, and problem solving and asks, well, how do you repurpose your skills when your availability for work changes, when your priorities around what you want to focus on changes? And how do you prioritize your own goals while juggling the demands of parenting, homeschooling, and supporting your partner's business as well? And on deck with me this week from the Spark Brain Trust to help tease out what really matters and share insights and ideas is strategic advisor and executive coach, founder of the Productive Flourishing Consultancy, and author of the multi-award-winning book, Start Finishing, Charlie Gilkey. So quick note, you'll hear us mention something we call spark types in conversation. Well, what is that? Turns out we all have a unique imprint for work that makes us come alive. This is your spark type. And when you discover yours, well, everything kind of makes a lot more sense, even parts of your personal life and relationships. But until you know it, we're all kind of fumbling in the dark. And just like today's listener did, you can discover your spark type for free at sparkatype.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now, on to Carrie's story in question. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked. Hello, Jonathan and team. My name is Carrie, pronouns she, her. I live near Ottawa, Ontario in Canada. I've worked in hospitality for the past decade, most recently as catering manager. But as of late, I've been home with our young growing family. I've been homeschooling and supporting the administration of my husband's small business. Unfortunately, the hospitality industry does not really have family friendly hours. So I've been trying to figure out how to repurpose my expertise so I can still help others while working from home with children. I want to focus on writing, which is something I've always been interested in but I have not yet pursued financially. I've started writing a book about my knowledge, but I'm struggling to find the time to focus on this project. In terms of my spark type profile, my primary being warrior and my shadow being essentialist, these really resonate with me because I've always had the urge to lead and organize, which explains my love for customer service and problem solving. And then my anti-spark type of scientist especially applies when it comes to writing because I have no desire to do any research or data collection as I find it draining and uninteresting. So my specific question to you is how can I harness my passion for writing and leading others but make it fit with my work from home lifestyle? I really appreciate your insight so I can actually achieve this goal of mine. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to giving your new podcast a listen. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. 
In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Okay, Mr. Gilkey. So I saw you quietly sort of doing an internal giggle at certain points and then the famous Gilkey eyebrow raise of, hmm, along the way at certain points. I feel like there's a little bit of onion peeling we need to do here. I think there's a lot of onion peeling to do here. I couldn't calmly, stoically sit through that one. I was like, ooh, that's a, hmm, there are several things going on here. So let's get people grounded in the sparkotypes and and how that might be playing a role here. And I'm going to, per the usual, turn that over to you to let you explain. Yeah. So Carrie shared that her primary sparkotype is the warrior. And that impulse is to gather, organize, and lead. It is, uh, there's a certain fierceness to that archetype, which is where the name derives from. Not fierce in terms of war or heavily masculine, but fierce in terms of to bring people together, to organize, to gather, and then to lead through all the different things that may come up as you're taking people from point A, where they are, to some deeply desired end state, inevitably all sorts of adversity um, and resistance comes up, internal, external, interpersonal, and there is a fierceness that tends to go along with that impulse that needs to be a part of that impulse in order to be able to navigate all of those different things and keep coherence in your group to achieve that desired end state. She shared that her shadow sparkotype, which is, uh, you think of it as sort of the runner-up or the next strongest impulse, was actually the essentialist, which I thought was really interesting. So the essentialist impulse, it's all about creating order from chaos. It's about systems, process, clarity, clearness, utility, value, things like that. Very often, essentialists also experience a sense of elegance when they're really able to do that. So it's interesting to see the essentialist and warrior tied together here because you have somebody who has the job, who who really steps towards the job of bringing people together, organizing and leading them towards something that's deeply desired. And the essentialist kicks in and says, ooh, you know, like this is going to require a whole lot of uh, systems, process, clarity, and probably a lot of chaos that needs to turn into order along the way. So it can really be powerfully of service to the warrior impulse. And what's interesting is that 
their anti-spergotype, as she shared, which is we look at it that as uh, the the impulse or the type of work that tends to be the heaviest lift for you, requires the greatest external motivation, the greatest recovery when you have to do it. It's just for some odd reason, it just feels like more work than um, even from the outside looking in, it might objectively feel like it should be. Um, and the, the scientist impulse is all about burning questions, problem solving, big puzzles, things like that. So that's where we're stepping into this, right? And there's the bigger context around the the sparkotypes and Carrie's sort of a sparkotype profile. All right, I'm going to turn it back to you now for some insights. Well, thanks for that primer. And that's probably where you saw some of my contortions, because this is an interesting mix of sparkotypes. And frankly, part of when she got to the end of it, I was like, this would probably be one of the just prima facie, one of the hardest sets, the hardest matrices for a writer to have in some ways. And let me explain why. Like, I know we're going to say the Norma caveat, your sparkotype doesn't define you. It doesn't mean you can or can't do certain things. It just might make certain dispositions more prominent than others. And so I was sensing with this warrior archetype, I'm like, there's probably a lot of extroverted sort of social, like a lot of that type of energy. It doesn't have to be, but a lot of times it is. Paired with this essentialist who might want to pair that back a little bit. And when you start getting into how to pair it back and where to go and what that looks like, that's where you normally would have a scientist or maker like come in and help with some of that. But that's actually her shadow. <laughs> so the very thing that that might help her with this, like figuring this complexity or figuring out the simplicity in this chaos of leading people galvanizing people, inspiring people is actually the hardest thing for her. I was like, Ooh, that's going to be tricky. That's going to be tricky, tricky, tricky to work out. And so where I would start with this one by thinking before we go into time management and time blocking and, and things like that is really, I think her pathway into writing is not going to look like what writing looks like to most people. I think it's going to be a lot of conversations, a lot of convening, a lot of figuring out what, strike point issue, she can manage that warrior energy to anchor around. And then once she's able to move forward with that, that's when the essentialist can kick in. And that's where even the scientist needs to sort of jump in and help out. It won't be the vice that keeps her from figuring out what her work is in this season of her life right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And, and I, I thought it was also really interesting to see that profile, that sparkotype mix and this desire to, to write. You know, and as you mentioned, we tend to think that, uh, that especially the warrior sparkotype, well, they've got to be a raging extrovert. They've got to just like love to be around people all day, every day and um, be very forward facing and very front and center. And that's how they get nourished. And in fact, that's not true at all. We do see some of that for sure. But we also see very quiet, uh, much more uh, even highly mm -hmm. sensitive, much more introverted folks who also have this similar impulse to bring people together, to gather them and to lead them. And each one, I think, has both different benefits and different challenges. Um, but the assumption that, you know, you've got to be a raging extrovert to play this role is actually incorrect. It's, it's kind of completely dissociated from the impulse of the warrior in the first place. That said, as you pointed out, and as Carrie shared, she's got a decade of experience working in hospitality. So that gives us a hint as to what mm -hmm. her social yep. orientation might be, right? So now we don't necessarily know. She was a catering manager, right? But she just also most recently. So 
pretty safe bet. Like you don't start as a catering manager. You work your way up to that. It's a management, a leadership position. But you know, like I wouldn't be surprised if along the way she was a cater waiter or she was behind the scenes in the kitchen, but she was probably out there interacting with a lot of people. It's a super fast paced environment. You're constantly reading the room, constantly social dynamics, constantly organizing and harmonizing with sometimes really large teams of other people. So I wouldn't be surprised given her history if in fact she was more on the extroverted side of the spectrum. So I think we can we can kind of make a reasonable assumption that that's where she's coming from, which brings us back to your insight about, huh, how does this impulse to gather people together, organize and lead them and then organize stuff and a likely extroverted social orientation play with writing? Yeah. Um, I was reading the clues about hospitality and I'm, I'm so glad, like we see the same trends when it comes to what most people think of leaders, why we normally think of the extroverted, bold people as the best leaders, but even though the evidence points to the contrary. And that's one of the trickier things we don't necessarily need to dive deep into writing, but it's relevant for this podcast is writing can, one of the more challenging aspects of writing is the lack of immediate feedback especially if you're used to reading a room, seeing people smile and nod and micro signals and all those types of things. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for some of us, the blank page or the page you're typing on doesn't emote and doesn't interact with you in that same way. And so a lot of people get stuck because so many, so many of the ways in which they guide and orient the world and figure out if they're on point have to do with reading other people. So that's where my suggestion came from. Like, Carrie, getting in a place where you can read other people, see what your ideas are working, see what that thing is. I think it's going to help you, help you find your way to getting words on a page. Should that be the right medium for your expression? Right. That's a big assumption there. But if it is, please, please, please don't. I won't say ignore, but don't put too much credence on all the writing books you've read or heard of that essentially say, sit in a room, sit your butt down, look at a screen and get words on page. That works for a lot of the introverted, successful writers who are writing these books. It may not work for people who are who show up in the world in the way in which we're assuming that you do. And even if you're an introverted warrior, there's still that people dynamic. There's still that real-time feedback. There's still that energy that you need that's hard to channel when it's you and a keyboard or a pen. So that would be the first thing. So more practically, that's where I would want to be thinking about. She mentioned making time to write. She mentioned caretaking for children. She mentioned administration with a business. At some point, we're going to need to have some blocks of time to where there is that social interaction with other people about these ideas. It doesn't necessarily have to be in person, but it does need to be focused time where that's the thing she's paying primary attention to not the three, maybe four other things that's currently swirling about her right now that she mentioned. Usually when people, especially moms and parents, come in there and tell me, like, here are the three things I'm doing. I know there are at least that many other major things that are not hitting on deck. Those are just the three that, you know, that are front and center. So there's likely some other health thing going on, or there's a move, or there's something that's not being counted as projects. So... Projects in, in the world of Gilkey is anything that takes time, energy, and attention, and not just your work projects, like most people assume. So moving is a work project. Getting your kids back and forth from school during the summer and back in the fall counts as a project. So I just know she likely has that going on. So I would say 
to get momentum on this, she needs at least three focus blocks of 90 to 120 minute blocks of time a week of convening, talking, getting feedback to people to get some progress on whatever this body of work is that she's creating. If you have more than that, it can be difficult for parents, people with full-time jobs, people with all sorts of different things to get more time than that. But if you have less than that, it seems like you're always just getting started. Like if you do it once a week, you go cold for a week, and then you spend half the time you have the next time you pick it up trying to figure out where you were and you don't get anywhere. So three tends to be a really good rule, a really good guideline for a lot of people. So Carrie, that's what I'm asking you. That's what I'm inviting, challenging you to do is find or create. Let's be real. It's create three focus blocks a week dedicated to exploring this idea with other people so that you get some progress and traction on it. I love that. Super practical and and a, a really a useful and specific first step in. I can't let go of of the precursor step though. It, it keeps spinning in my head. I was just looking back at at uh, what Carrie shared with us and what what she said specifically was, you know, family, friends, hours limited, and she said, "I've been trying to figure out how to repurpose my expertise so I can still help others while working from home with children." After that. She shares, I want to focus on writing, which is what I've always been interested in, but have not yet pursued financially. So this is an interesting tell for me. So Charlie, you're a writer. I'm a writer. Like we've, we're both multiple books into a writing career. I wake up in the morning and I want to write. Mm -hmm. Writing is brutal. (laughs) Writing is hard. And I love writing and writing tends to come to me easier than most people that I know who are quote writers. Um, This has been a part of my life for a really long time. The order that that Carrie shared these things in was made me curious. Like, is does writing just seem like the logical way to be able to figure out how to repurpose her expertise and help others while working from home with kids? Or is writing a thing that wakes her up in the morning and says, if I could do this, then I, I, this would be like incredible. Because if it's the former then I would first want to do something to just even test the assumption whether writing is in fact a path that is going to give her what she wants. Because it, it's a it's a hard path. And it is very often a path that is layered not just in the lack of real-time feedback, as you've described, but in solitude. Mm-hmm. It is a very singular process, often for long periods of time. I mean, books I've written, for the most part, I've started and I've not talked to a single soul, including my editor, for nine months until the manuscript was handed in. Now, I happen to be um, an introvert and a maker, so I'm pretty good with that. But a warrior and essentialist who may be more extroverted, like in orientation, that could be super challenging. So my even preliminary thought is, what can we do here to test the assumption that writing is in fact the thing that will make her feel the way she wants to feel? Like, could you actually just set aside those, like first, like do the gilky thing with the three blocks, but don't make it a long-term thing. And I'm curious how you feel about this. Make it like a, let me do this for four weeks, not because I actually want to write something substantial or get from like the beginning to end, but purely to test the assumption of whether writing is actually the thing that's going to give her what she wants to have, or whether in fact, maybe there are like all sorts of other modalities whether it's video, whether it's audio, whether it's webinars, whether it's, you know, like coaching that might actually much more readily satisfy that warrior essentialist Jones 
and at the same time, let her spend more time working from home, supporting like the family business, being with family, and having that interactive thing on a more regular basis that might be more enlivening. Um, what, what do you, what's your take on that, Charlie? I'm glad you went there because if we had Carrie real time, after we did the sort of Sparkotype setup, my first question would have been, why writing? Yeah. <laughs> to really explore... <laughs> That sort of thing, because the world, the ways in which we have, like, there are just so many myriad ways we can get our expertise out. Writing being a way, but to your point, a very difficult way, especially if we're going under the assumption that she's extroverted. Maybe, I've seen this a lot, maybe actually a kinesthetic learner and processor, which becomes very difficult when you're a writer. Like, you need to move, you need to be with people, you need to do all those types of things. Writing is not that, right? First. And so... I'm with you. I was like, uh, do I really want to push back against that assumption? Yes. <laughs> right. And I would say like, really, why writing? Or what's the writing? What's the job of the writing? Let's talk about that. Both for you, but also for the potential people that you're wanting to serve. Right. And maybe it is that we need your words in a book, on a desk, in a certain way, to, to make that change happen. Maybe it's a three-minute shortcast. Maybe it's a visual. Maybe it's a lot of different ways. So I, with you, had a lot of... That was my first major, like, hmm, how are we going to get into that? And then, you know, then going in that. So I think there are social advisory pathways, whether it's coaching or consulting or facilitating or any of those types of things with people that are great ways to get research or to get one's expertise out that are not writing. I would also want to question to what degree, if she writes, it needs to be a financial driver. That's a, that's another arc, right? Because it might turn out that you have other ways of getting your expertise out that are what the market are looking for and is looking for and that you can do easily. And that's really you. And then you might still want to have writing as a way of processing it yourself of doing all sorts of different things. So I was talking to a client about this. I'll try to be brief on this one, Jonathan. You know how sometimes that's tricky for me. And she was having a similar worry. And I was like, look, there's explanatory writing and there's exploratory writing. And a lot of times we peep, we need to have a lot more exploratory writing and a little bit of that might carve out to become explanatory writing. But if you don't make the amount of time that you need for the for the exploratory part, you don't get the explanatory part. And so she was like, I need to be publishing more. I need to be doing this. I was like, but do you though? Or do you just need more time exploring via writing? She is clearly a writer, right? She loves writing. So it, that wasn't the question. But I think for Carrie, it is the question. What modality allows you to explore, dance, and play with your expertise and share it with other people the fastest that you can test, that you can find joy and flow with? And then, you know, consider how writing might be tacked on. So date a few modalities is what we're saying, what Jonathan and I are both saying. Now, you mentioned a month versus longer. I tend to recommend quarter-long projects for this, and here's why. Hmm. If you're just picking up something and you're rusty and you're trying it out, that first month, a lot of your emotions are going to be around the, you know, I've got to sit down and habituate and got to do all these things. And it turns out it doesn't feel good to not be good at something. And so most people bail out in the first month. They're like, oh, I'm not liking writing. It's like, no, you're not liking trying a new thing. Mm. That's different. But by the time you're about three months into something, you're like, you know what? I thought going down to the coffee shop and writing for two and a half, three hours a day was my jam. I do not like this. 
Okay. By that amount of time, you know that. The first month, you're just mad that you have to get up and go to the coffee shop and figure out what to do with your kids and figure out if you've got the right writing software and look at 200 words and wonder about all your life choices. Like, I call this the new project cocoon, right? Every new project when you do like this, you have to put it in a cocoon and say, how I feel about this project when I'm just trying it may not be indicative of how I'm going to feel about the project once I get used to it. So that's why I would say maybe give it three months because the first month, new project cocoon, most of what the extremes of what you're going to feel are not going to give you a lot of the evidence you need about what it's going to feel like to do it three months in or six months in. Yeah, I love that. And and even if, um, you know, there's that scenario also where like the first month you really don't like it because you're just getting the kinks out. But then actually, once you get past that, you're like, oh. Actually, now I'm finding it. I'm back in. I'm back in my rhythm. I have back, a, you know, command over the flow and the rhythm and and the the words. And now I'm actually starting to like. I'm as as we were recording this. I'm for the first time in a long time reconnecting with my guitar. And it's the early days, and my fingers hurt, and I'm just not like it's just not coming. And I'm like, okay, but I need to stick with this for a while and just do it. You know, a little bit every day. You know, uh, as we start to bring this home also, like towards the end, her, her, Carrie's actual specific question was, how can I harness my, and here's where she uses the word, how can I harness my passion for writing and leading others, but make it fit with my work? And I think this goes to what you were just saying, Charlie, which is even if that passion is legitimate and it's there and, and, and Carrie, if, even if you are like, I am a writer too, like this is just for some, whatever reason it's there, then the question is, does that actually have to be something that um, contributes financially to the work that I'm doing in the world? Or can it just be a thing that I'm passionate about? Can it be a form of expression? And like the idea of repurposing my knowledge and sharing it and building a more flexible and home-based living can be related to, like the writing maybe helps work out ideas even, but the delivery method um, can be very different. So I think the big picture as we zoom the lens out is to just sort of pause and like question the more fundamental assumptions and then run some of these projects Charlie was talking about and experiments to see like what would happen if I did this, like in, in some way, shape or form for a window of time, how would it make me feel? Before you actually commit to how do I build this? How do I make it work? How do I make it contribute financially? And then kind of take it from there. So as we bring this home, Charlie, do you, do you have any sort of like closing thoughts or ideas? Yeah, I love that you ended that way because most of the best work that we're going to do, the, the foundations of our good life are going to be built upon things that we're going to have to do for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And I know we live in a world where of, you know, the internet, fast success sort of thing like that. And so there's a certain story there. But when you really look at it, most of the people who are doing significant bodies of work and having significant impact are putting the time in. So it's really important that you choose. And actually, you've talked about this. You'll link up in the show notes about maker market fit, right? That you choose to do and operate You choose to do things that you can do for the long haul that work for you, that light you up, that spark you up, not just what other people need. Because if you just do what other people need, then you've gotten yourself a job, which isn't bad, but it may not be how you wanted to start things out. So yeah, date a few things, find that thing where you're like, you know what? This actually really works for me. Another pro tip on this one, I'll try to be brief here, is it's counterintuitive, for, but for entrepreneurs, the things that come the easiest for you 
are the things that you should be charging the most for or at least building more around. We think the opposite, right? We pick the things that are hard for us and assume that because it's hard for us, it's more high value, but that's not true, right? And so Carrie, I hope if anything, you'll take a step back and say, hey, what would be a simple, flowful, joyous way for me to share this expertise I have and play with that and see where it takes you? Mm. Love that. Great way to bring it home. Charlie, thank you so much as always. Carrie, I hope you found this useful and everybody listening in from our wonderful community. I hope you see all the different lessons that apply to your own life and sparkotypes and circumstance. So excited to be here with you in conversation and we will see you all next week on the Spark Podcast. Hey, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation, learned a little something about your own quest to come alive and work in life and maybe feel a little bit less alone along this journey to find and do what sparks you. And if you'd love to share your own moment and question with us, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and click on the submissions link in the show notes to get the details on how to do that. And remember, if you're at a moment of exploration, looking to find and do or even create work that makes you come more fully alive, that brings more meaning and purpose and joy into your life, Take the time to discover your own personal Sparkotype for free at Sparkotype.com. It'll open your eyes to a deeper understanding of yourself and open the door to possibility like never before. And hey, if you're finding value in these conversations, please just take an extra second right now to follow and rate Sparked in your favorite podcast app. This is so helpful in helping others find the show and growing our community so that we can all come alive and work in life together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Sparked.